Brainheart, the podcast where we celebrate and interrogate creatives of all stripes. I'm Hannah Camacho. On today's show, we have the father of Emerald City Comic Con, as well as the co-founder of Lightbox Expo, Jim Demonakos. I loved hearing Jim's story. He is just full of wisdom and is the master of bringing creatives together to celebrate artistry and creativity. And as someone who lives in Washington State, I loved hearing the origin story of Emerald City Comic Con. And as a fan of Lightbox Expo, I really enjoyed hearing more of the backstory of that and how Jim worked with Bobby to get that off the ground and have such an incredibly successful first year. Not only that, but Jim is a writer and an artist, and so he has that perspective in terms of being a creative and what that means, and um, really dove into some great conversation around how so many artists feel like they need to commercialize what they're doing, but that might not always be the right next step. And shameless plug here, if you are looking for a great event that's going to connect you with other artists, whether they're professionals or amateurs, people who are just really passionate about art and learning, I definitely recommend that you check out Lightbox Expo. This episode is airing in March, and uh, actually tickets are going on sale in just a few days. Um, But I can tell you personally, it was incredibly life-changing. Things that I've heard my favorite virtual instructors say ad nauseum (laughs) actually finally sunk in when I was hearing it in person and getting personal advice and sitting in so many amazing workshops. It's totally worth it. Definitely check it out. All right, I'm going to get out of the way now so you can hear my conversation with the amazing Jim Demonakos. Jim, you are a busy guy, and I know that there are a lot of things coming up on your plate, so I am just so incredibly thankful that you've taken the time to kind of talk about your story with me today. Oh, you're welcome. Happy to be here. Yes. Um, you have, I know, uh, Emerald City Comic Con probably coming up soon. I know you're already deep in Lightbox prep. Um, but if, if those who are not familiar with you or your story are curious about what you're up to these days, is there anything else you want to kind of give us a little taste of in terms of what you're focused on? Uh, so let's see. Outside of... So I don't really do much with Emerald City anymore. It's uh, I, I always attend, um, so I'm always happy to, to check out the show. Like, no matter what happens, it'll always be my local show. Um, but as of a couple years back, um, I no longer work with Reed. Reed is the company that acquired um, Emerald City, and they run, like, New York Comic Con and C2E2 and Star Wars Celebration, and I was... Uh, able to work on all of those events, which was a super fun time uh, for the couple of years I worked for Reed post uh, post Emerald City, and then um, then I started Lightbox Expo uh, very very recently. Our first show was September of 2019, and uh, we're already working on the uh, September 2020 edition. Isn't of course, that crazy? Uh, yeah, it's um, you know it feels like it's it's always almost there right like no matter how far away the show is it's, it's so like close, yes it's always so close no matter if it's a year away it's like no it's because you're so you'd be surprised just like with regular life as i'm sure you know like it just time flies all of a sudden like you know the weekend is gone and it's monday again and then before you know it it's friday again you're like oh man like this week has gone so quick. And then you multiply that out. Like it's already February. Like what happened in January? <laughs> oh man, the show is in September and those 
months are ticking off. Oh, I can't even imagine. And having attended the first year, it was such a well-oiled machine already. Um, it's clear you have so much, you know, event uh, experience under your belt. Um, and I'm excited to dive into that more. But I can only imagine that it, it easily fills up the year. That's crazy. Do you still have, uh, are you still um, running the, the comic shop chain of retail stores as well? Or how, what, where's that in your life? Uh-oh. No, so um, over the last, uh, I'd say, four or five years, uh, little by little, so the Comic Stop, which was the name of the stores, um, they, it was always myself, my brother, and like a third partner, and little by little, uh, we had the third partners kind of like take over the stores, and so I just knew that I wasn't devoting the kind of time that um, they deserve, and it... You know, the comic comic retail is a tough business in general. And so being able to kind of step away from it so that someone can dedicate themselves fully to it has actually been a boon for all the stores as well. So I, I don't I don't ever think I was I'd like to I'd like to think at least that I was like an albatross or anything, but there's always you know, there's too many, sometimes there's just too many people and it's okay to have like more of a singular vision for the, um, the stores. And so that's, that's what happened. So these days though, I visit and I'm friendly, like, you know, I don't actually run the stores. There's only so many hours in the day and between, you know, like all the projects that I'm working on, it's, uh, it just yes. is. <laughs> that was know, like, the first question on my mind thing. was how does he do all of this? So that, that provides some clarity and, and that's incredible that you're able to kind of start something and see it thrive and, and sort of the egoless pursuit of what's best for that particular endeavor. That's amazing. I love it. Yeah. I think that you need to, you need to look at, any business, even one that you're involved in or passionate about. And at a certain point, realize that maybe you are not the best person for it, or maybe that you, if you're not going to be able to devote the time that it takes to make it a success, then um, again, like I said, maybe you're not a hindrance, but if you're not really helping, then maybe it's uh, it's time to move on. And it's a hard thing to read. It's the same thing of like, <clears throat> you know, like being in a being in a relationship and being like, you know, it's it's sort of, oh, are we going to get married or are we breaking up? Like, and it, those are two extremes. But there's also like, you know, what is it that you want out of any type of of relationship? And that also then translates very much to business. And I've I feel like <clears throat> I realized a couple times in my past that I've essentially like overstayed my welcome in my own company. And you're just, it's a hard thing to realize, but it's because the business has matured to a point where either it's not something that you're interested in, um, that like, let's say the direction it's gonna take, or even more importantly, like the direction it needs to take so that it can continue to be a success. And that's a hard, it's a hard thing to to realize and to recognize. Hmm. That's, I mean, I appreciate that wisdom right out of the gate. I, I know I needed to hear that today. <laughs> so um, I'd love to hear about your origin story a little bit, kind of rewinding the clock and hearing a little bit about, you know, little baby Jim and, and um, 
uh, sort of where you grew up, what the situation was like, and then when you started to realize you were passionate about, you know, storytelling, writing, um, and, and uh, gathering with others who are passionate about the same things. Yeah, I mean, um, so I was born in Montana. Um, nice. Yep, <clears throat> Missoula, Montana. Very nice. And uh, we moved to Seattle, to the Seattle area when I was six. And so I've spent the rest of my life more or less in the Northwest, aside from a couple of detours. Um, so I, I grew up, so my parents are Greek immigrants. And so a lot of what I've done and my thought process on things are very much informed by kind of watching my, my folks um, because, you know, they, for as long as I can remember, had um, restaurants. They were restaurateurs. And and so on one hand, a very um, kind of stereotypical, you know, like Greek um, endeavor when it comes to coming to the States. Uh, my dad used to be actually in the merchant Marines when in, in Greece and would do repair for um, like uh, uh, airplane um, engines and things like that. And so when he came to the States, he couldn't, like a lot of people, you can't translate those abilities because people don't recognize, you know, it's like getting a degree in, um, you know, like even whatever, like you're, you, have, you have a degree and it's from uh Pakistan and you come over for a tech job and they don't recognize that because of whatever, for whatever reason. And so you're, you find yourself doing something that's completely out of your, of your wheelhouse because you're just to work. Right. Like, and that's where my dad kind of, you know, fell. It's like he had this whole career and this whole thing and he came to the States and none of that translated. So he started working at like a lumber mill um, just to, you know, pay the bills. And um, <clears throat> and so that's how he ended up in Montana. And my mom, she grew up, um, my grandfather was a baker and he and his, uh, and my grandmother um, had a bakery and that's where my, my mom grew up. And so she, uh, cooking, baking, that kind of thing. And so little by little, they, um, they knew of a couple people who had restaurants and they thought it might be just a better, a better way to go than working at the lumber mill. Um, and so they opened a restaurant and it was like the first Greek restaurant in Missoula, Montana, you know? And so, um, that was kind of, it was kind of cool. And, um, but little by little, you know, they're just, uh, I don't think the, the, I think the temperature and so the weather, I guess, the, um, and things were not super to their liking. And, uh, they had made some friends out here in, um, in Everett and Seattle. And so they decided to, to make a, a big leap and, uh, come out here. So, they came over here and opened a restaurant as well. And so for me, um, growing up, to tie it all back around, of course, is I watched I watched my parents be their own bosses their whole lives, right? My, sorry, my whole life. 
And what you don't realize about, I, I don't have kids, so to, to be very clear, but like, you don't realize that it doesn't necessarily matter like what you say to your kids, but they're following your examples. They're watching what you're doing, not what you're saying um, more so than anything else. And so even though my parents were like, you know, you should go to college. Don't be like us. Don't be stuck in a restaurant for, you know, because to them, not that it was a prison, but to understand, you know, like when you own your own business, any business, it's, it's all consuming. Uh, and if you're running a business and it's not all consuming, then you might not be doing it right. And I think that's kind of because it depends. I mean, if it's a hobby that you're trying to turn to a business, it's OK that you need to support yourself by working, you know, like let's call it a nine to five. And there's there's nothing wrong with that. And that's I think a lot of people need to hear that where, you know, if you're pursuing a creative passion, especially it's hard to decide today like okay i'm gonna quit my job and i'm just gonna work on illustration or whatever it is right because unless you already have like lined up a bunch of clients and you've done all this all of a sudden next month when that next bill is due for your rent or for literally anything else you're like oh Turns out, don't have any money. It's, <laughs> I guess that's um, a problem. <laughs> right. And so it's it's so easy to say, you know, like, follow your passion. But, like, that's that's just like the tip of the iceberg. You have to be smart about it. You have to be – you have to understand that to follow your passion, you also need to build a foundation. And it's, it is hard. I mean, if you're working a nine to five and you come home and you're pretty tired, but you know, like you're trying to work on your illustration, like it all comes down to you. It's how much you want to put into it. And so if you're, if you're, if what you're pursuing is you want to be an artist and that's the thing that, you know, you're trying to do while you are still supporting yourself and possibly you're supporting you know, a significant other or children or anything. I mean, I think that it's it's so much more difficult. And each one of those things is a layer that, you know, you have to uh, you have to kind of unfurl to figure out what what works for you, because there's no magic formula for anybody. That's such good advice. I, I love that because um, personally, I have, you know, side hustles in addition to my my day job. And um, honestly, I think I feel a little more freedom that way because I'm not necessarily doing what I love 24 seven. And, um, and I'm not having to do it for, you know, create someone else's vision and make someone else's vision come to life. But I get to kind of choose what I do with my time on my side hustle and, and just have fun with it. And, and I I almost think I'm probably happier that way. (laughs) Personally, I know that's not for everybody. But that's that is such sound and solid advice. I so appreciate you sharing that. You're welcome. But also, I think you found the thing that works for you. And that's, I think, what I'm saying, too, is that everybody needs to find what balance is either making them happy or is um, working for them, because maybe, all you're interested in doing is, um, let's say that every year, so th- this is a trap that a lot of people fall into. Like every year you decide that like you do holiday cards, right? So you send out, but you hand 
illustrate them or you just make them yourself like every single year and you're only doing a few but like every one of your friends is like oh man Hannah you need to do this as like you could sell this you could you know you could do this as a business but the problem in that statement is that it's commercializing a thing that you're doing for yourself and for your friends or for your passion right so um, you decide like if you start making those cards available or that you start taking card commission for the the joy out of the the cards that you are making for your friends, I guarantee you that that year you might be like, oh, dang, it's already, you know, halfway through December. All right, I'm just going to go to the corner store and buy, you know, like 15 generic cards and send them out to my friends <laughs> just so that I can make sure that I have cards because I've been so busy creating cards for strangers on the internet. And, you know, that's cool on one hand, right? Like you brought in some income and if that's, you know, if that was your goal, but what it really did is took away the thing that you were doing that you just love doing for yourself and for your friends and made it a commodity. And so many people fall into the trap of saying that their, their hobby, you know, like then becomes their work. And so like you were saying, you found a balance where it can be something that you're still enjoying and creating for yourself versus creating for others. And again, it depends on your goals because if what you really wanna do is make cards for other people so that you can make money and that's your goal, then awesome, then that, then that path is amazing. But if it's the thing where like, You've always like you always knit, you, let's say, you know, you knit a sweater or you, um, you know, maybe you're, you're just bake for friends like it or it doesn't it doesn't matter what the item is. But as soon as you you if your goal isn't to commercialize it and you listen to others because you're like, oh, yeah, maybe people would like this. I don't know you have to you have to balance that that takes away any of the benefit that you are getting out of creating those things for yourself yeah. i feel like this is a therapy session jim how did you know <laughs> i needed to hear this <laughs> no th that is i, I, just, I so see good. it so often and i try to be very cognizant like mm. there was this lady who um <clears throat> this is my wife's story so i'm co-opting it but she, <laughs> I love she, it. Met, she, she met a, a, a lady at a wedding and her dress was like incredible, like just this incredible dress. And she's like, oh my gosh, that dress is so great. And um, like, whom, whom, you know, like, where did you get it? And she's like, I made it, like I made this dress. And she's like, oh my gosh, well, do you sell them? And there's this look on her face, on the lady's face, because I guarantee you she's heard this so many times she doesn't want to sell these dresses she doesn't make them to sell them she makes them because she wanted to make she can and she likes making dresses for herself maybe for her friends and i've that story has resonated with me because i know that i've been guilty 
of the same thing. Like we don't realize how powerful our words can be both in the positive and the negative. Cause in your head, you're not saying anything bad, obviously. Um, you're, you're just thinking like, Oh, cool. You make these, do you sell them? Maybe I'm interested in one. Who knows? But I've become much more aware of the idea of like allowing the other person to talk about any type of commercial aspect to their art because making a dress is also art that's a, that's just a different thing. i know we talk very a lot of times when we're talking illustration we have a very i don't want to say narrow but it's a very specific type of illustration right a, a type of art let's call it um but making a dress is art as well and so when you're talking to this person and or you're talking to other people i encourage you to think about what you're saying in terms of what you're asking about mm. when it comes to their art. I love it. That, that is, a, it is such a powerful statement and, and I'm soaking it in and I, uh, I love that. I love that so much. And you have interacted with so many artists, both professional and amateur and, and everyone in between. And so um, I know that that comes from experience and being in the thick of it myself. I know I personally needed to hear that. So I, I love it. I, I love to um, jump into your origin story a little more too here. So once you start to get to the college age and your parents are saying, hey, don't do what we did, go to college, get a degree, pursue something different. Um, what kind of started to transpire there? Did you end up um, you know, going to university and trying to sort of listen or, or was it straight off the bat, hey, I've watched you be your own boss and I have a vision. I'd love to hear a little bit about what happened there. Yeah, so I mean, I definitely, I did, I did go to college. I went to university. I went to the University of Washington. Um, so the thing is, is that I, so I always, from when I was a kid, I always drew. I was, I was an artist um, in terms of just that I, I like to draw. That I, you know, I wouldn't. I know there's like, you know, the loaded term whatever but like you know i like drawing you know was i an artist that's you know it's all subjective whatever right so anyway i get i get the call i i drew all through um elementary school junior high and just into high school and then in high school um first year of high school i had a block do you know what block is it's like when you have you know two subjects one teacher right so um, so I had a block class. I forget her name, but I used to draw in class. I, I always drew in class, like a lot of like in the margins or whatever, but like, you know, you name it. And then, I, but I would do like full illustrations, like for friends, you know, it's like, and so I would draw a lot of like cartoons. It would be like, um, you know, I could do like a good Bart Simpson or a good like Raphael from the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles or, you know, whatever. Right. And so I would draw these and um, give them to friends or whatever. And she was um, like, you need to stop wasting your time drawing. <laughs> what? Oh, <laughs> uh, dear. Yeah. Like, I would say, like, and I know this is probably, like, my kind of, like, child brain 
like recollection of it, but like sure. she was like very discouraging. Oh dear. Oh dear. <laughs> and it was um and like I was taught, you know, especially just growing up or whatever, like, you know, people of authority, adults, they, you know, they have your best interests. They you you listen you listen to them. And so I I stopped. Like I actually I stopped drawing in high school. And, um but it was always like it was always something I wanted to do. And so I had this very I don't know that I it, like if I hadn't had that teacher, if today I'd be, you know, like a comic artist or whatever. Um, but it, it like threw me off my path, like whatever mental path I had of being like, I think art is something for me. And so, so I went through the rest of high school, like I did well, like I was a fine student as in, if I put more effort into it, I could have been better, but I just didn't, you know, I was just. I just, so I had a totally good grade point average, you know, three something, it was fine. And then I got into the University of Washington and like, I just took classes. Like I was at the university just being like, huh, I'll take, like, I'll take astronomy. Like, <laughs> let me check this out. And then, um, I don't know, I'm a big Indiana Jones fan. I'll take archaeology, you know. Like, you know what I mean? Like yes. and I'm sort of sort of floating through. And by the way, in archaeology one oh one, they're like, this is nothing like Indiana Jones. So like it stopped me <laughs> being interested <laughs> in it at all. Anyway. Um but like I I just had no idea. I took I took some art classes and I really enjoyed them. But like there was that nagging part in the back of my head that's like, you can't do this for a living. Yeah. So you need to figure out something else. And so, but I still like, I, I went to the University of Washington and then I was like, you know, maybe I'll try something that's like a hybrid. And by a hybrid, I mean, computers are starting to become a big thing. I mean, we're talking, this is 1998, 1997, you know, around that. I mean, I was in 95 and so like 96, 97. And so I was like, um, CG was starting to become a thing. And so I went to, I actually transferred, I transferred from um, the University of Washington to the Art Institute of Seattle to pursue a, a degree in computer animation. And so while I was there, I like they're out of business now. I don't know if you know that all the art, the art Institute of Seattle, like just shut down. They actually shut down a week before people graduated. Um, it was terrible. Like they were kind of, you know, I don't want to cuss, but they were pretty, they were, they were, they were not great. And because here's the thing, here's what I would want out of an art school that you're paying a decent amount of money for, which is I want them to be like, here's how you improve. Like, here's all of us in a class and we're all supposed to draw portraits of our faces. And mine is flipping not good. Like it is terrible. Right. And it is just 
like and it, it's like objectively terrible compared to like my fellow classmates like i can go down like we all put it up on the wall and we all walk by all of them and i'm just like this is not and it's not just like you know your criticism of yourself as an artist it's just like i can judge all of these on their merit and this one by me is not good and instead of being like what you would hope which is hey let's talk a little bit about I don't know, shapes or how faces are constructed or how to draw or whatever. They're like, yep, this is good. You're paying money, so we're not going to fail you. You know, like, and so it just, again, and a lot of this is retrospect, okay? Like, you know, at the time, at the time you're like, woohoo, like I, I got the grade I needed, you know? And it's like, oh, I didn't realize that we weren't really getting grades. We were just all sort of passing. Um, and and I graduated. Like at the time, I the only thing I did is like I did an internship at a um, at a video game company, and I worked on. I was a texture map artist. Uh, for, so for those who don't know, it's like you know you make an object like a cube, and you want it to look like something in the real world, like a crate, like you have to draw the sides and make it look like a crate. So you have to draw the wood and all that. And so that was the, the thing I did was like, you know, just sitting around in Photoshop, making objects look real. Like, uh, it was a, um, it was a war game set in Vietnam. And so there's like a lot of, um, reference. So it'd be like, here's like, here's a flat piece of, you know, like a flat object, make it look like a bridge in Vietnam. And I was like, okie dokie. Um, and so uh, that's like the only job I had. And that was an internship during while I was in uh, college. And then when I graduated to, I, I would say to everyone's surprise in like, let's call it my family and to myself, I couldn't get a job because it turns out wasn't very good and but I graduated and so like I was like hey I have this degree like here's my reel like I had a reel and everything and they're just like that's a pass you know and I was like and I and again this is this disconnect of like I didn't, I didn't realize how not good I was um, and so I I'm like kind of struggling, right? I don't understand because I'm a dummy. And so it's like, <laughs> I'm, I'm not, a, I don't understand why I can't get a job. And it sort of is this spiral, like reinforcing, like, well, of course you can't get a real job doing art, like someone actually paying you. Like, weren't you told this like years ago? Like, didn't you listen? And I was like, so I had a lot of that going on. Um, in the meantime, while I was at the University of Washington and then I, after I started uh, dabbling into web design, like I taught myself HTML and I built websites for friends and just um, while I was at the University of Washington, I worked in the tech lab, just helping people and a lot of it, like they had me teach classes on HTML and stuff for people who wanted to learn. Yeah, it was, it was fun. Like, so I basically worked in the computer labs and I was on phone support a lot, which was just, you know, like people from various parts of the campus calling and like, I can't get my computer to work and, you know, like trying to get them to, to figure it out. And uh, <clears throat> I was always like a tech computer 
and that kind of stuff. So, uh, so I taught myself HTML and web design, and I kept doing that. Um, I uh, I made fan websites for different things. Like I made a fan website about Iceman, my favorite X Man. Um, I think Iceman. I realize again, all in retrospect, like Iceman was my favorite X Man because of Spider Man and his amazing friends. I was like him and Firestar and Iceman, and I was like, how come I like Iceman so much? And I was like, oh yeah, I guess it's because of that cartoon. Anyway, so whatever. So I made like an, an Iceman website, and I made like uh, one about Savage Dragon, uh, which was pretty big for me in the '90s and stuff, and. I, I bring it up very specifically because, and because I'll come back to it, is that thanks to my fan Savage Dragon website, I got to become friends with Eric Larson, the creator of oh, Savage wow. Dragon. That's awesome. Um, so we'll put a pin in that for a sec. I, I ended up basically doing like I designed SavageDragon.com and ran ran that website for years. Um, but anyway, so I graduate the art institute and i'm like just can't find a job i can't do anything so um i'm living downtown seattle in like the most affordable i mean of course like put your mind into the time but like i'm sharing like a two-bedroom apartment with my buddy who i went to the art institute with and we're paying combined we're paying 880 dollars wow that's that's a steal Uh, on Capitol Hill, like <laughs> just uh, good times. Anyway, um, so so he is a game tester at Nintendo. That's what he's doing to just uh, while he's trying to find work as well. And he said that he heard about a company because he knew I did web design. He heard about this company and they were like uh, looking for web designer. So I was like, great, like maybe that's something while I while I keep looking for art jobs. And so I go and I find the company and they give me a test to test like my HTML skills and my Photoshop skills. And they're like, great, we'd love to hire you. And it turns out it was like essentially like a high tech temp agency. So what would happen is that like, I wouldn't have a job until like Monday morning, Monday morning, get a, a, like a notice that's like okay we have a job for you go to this place here's the address here's the length of the contract usually one one to two weeks um and then i would i would just go i would show up to so i worked like all over the place i would, would go to like sometimes it was people's houses sometimes it was you know like high-rise buildings and they were just hiring and I would just go and be like, hello, what would you like me to do? And so I I worked on all kinds of stuff and I learned all kinds of things. So I'm at all, all these different companies. Like one is like here are where we make uh, like motorboat parts. And so we need like this in to show people where the parts go. And I was like, okie dokie. And so, you know, I would just sit there and build whatever they needed. And then I would build, I would essentially like, they would sign off on what, like my, my timesheet. And then I would fax my timesheet to the, the company. 
and I would then get paid by check. Um, uh, uh, and the cool thing was that I um, they they never paid you less for the newest job that you would take than your previous job, if that makes sense. So the cool thing is that I started making more money. So it'd be like, here, we have a gig for $17 an hour. So if I got paid $17 an hour for a job, I would never get paid less than 17. It would always either match or be higher for my next job. And so all of a sudden I started making like really good money because as those numbers went up, and again, as we're as you can see, we're talking like the kind of dot-com boom time. People just had like too much money and not enough sense. Um, and so, you know, at a certain point, I'm I'm making $65 an hour um, doing web design. And you know what I found out? And this I, I didn't know. Again, partially maybe naivete, partially just like I had no clue, is that everything that I build the company, they build the people I was working for double. So I was making $65 an hour. <laughs> they, they were, were charging $130 an hour <laughs> for my services. Um, and so anyway, I was doing this for a little while and I was talking to my friends and we're like kind of chit chatting and I'm a, I'm a big comic book fan. And so Every week, like, you know, I'm a Wednesday Warriors at the time. So, like, every Wednesday I'd go to the shop and, like, pick up my new comics and all that. And I was always, like, I always have to go to, like, two, three different stores because there's always, like, again, back then a lot more segmented. So, like, some, like, one store didn't carry graphic novels and one store didn't even uh, carry any merchandise. So, like, if you wanted, like, a T-shirt or a statue or, like, you name it, right? Um, so... I just started talking with friends and being like, you know, it'd be great because they were also comics fans. Like, it'd be great if we just had like one store that had it all. And um, and then I just I don't know, like I got it into my head where it's like, well, no one else seems to be doing it. Why don't why don't I just open a store like I. I know how the whole thing basically works, you know, like I understand retail. I have, you know, been around enough. And so I just was like, okay, well, why not, why not I just <laughs> I give this a shot? And so um, I convinced my brother and my, my friend, Brian, who Brian was working at one of the stores I used to shop at. And he was one of the guys that, you know, I'd sort of complain to. And he's like, well, I can't do anything. Like, I'm, I just, I just work here. Like, I'm not the owner. Right. And so I got kind of to the point where I was like, well, what if you were the owner? You know, and that's how I think I mentioned how, like, you know, you make partnerships. And I was like, well, why don't you just come in as an equal partner? Then you're an owner. And then you have some say over how things go. You know, we're on the same page about how things should work. And so, I basically stopped freelancing doing um, the web design and used all my savings because I didn't do anything. Like I was, I'm an extremely boring person. Uh, so <laughs> like I would just, I would go to work, I would do work 
And then I would go back to our apartment and I'd hang out with my buddy and we'd play video games. And that was like the sum of like my expenses <laughs> was like just making sure of those things. Like I, I, I told the temp agency for a week that, cause you could tell them like when you're not available. Mm. So I'm like, Hey, after my next contract, I'm going to be unavailable for a week because the Sega Dreamcast had come out and I just wanted to sit around <laughs> and play video games for a week. I love it. You know? And so anyway, so I, we opened the comic book store and we opened it up in Linwood where another store used to be, but had, burned down about uh, three, four years previously. They had had a fire uh, in that it was in like a strip mall and the strip mall had like caught fire and most of the, like about half the stores ended up, you know, like going up. And the guy who owned that store left and went to, he opened, he, he reopened the store, but he opened it much further south. And so it kind of left like a gap in the market because the store was always did pretty well. And so when we decided to open our store, we opened it kind of nearish where that old store used to be. And it kind of captured that a good like geographic area for the, for the store. Yeah. And so that's how we opened the first comic stop and uh, it went really well. Like we, um, it was really successful, which is I'm very thankful for. Um, I, I sat in there for, you know, two straight years to no vacations, no nothing, just making sure the store like got off the ground and was good. And it helped, as I mentioned earlier, that like I had no life. So it kind of was perfect. <laughs> um, and so then we opened a second store after two years. It was um, because it, it had gone so well. So we, we opened up a second store in Everett. And anyway, so then um about a year after that i started getting really um i think really restless and kind of kind of bored i guess uh, with the comic store not that i didn't love it but it was the same thing sort of week in week out like you know and i love talking to the customers and all that but i just didn't um i was like you know i'm kind of interested in maybe doing something else and i don't know what that is and and so um <clears throat> while we owned the stores, we would always exhibit at the local comic cons, um, to, uh, like sell dead stock. So, you know, like we'd put out quarter bins and things like that. And, um, it was, it was something that like, I'd, I'd gone, thanks to that connection with Eric Larson, I had gone to like, uh, San Francisco to WonderCon cause that's where he lived. And I was like, I wanted to check it out. Um, and I forgot to mention one of the reasons I brought him up earlier is because like we, when I went to open the store, I was like, hey, would you be willing to like come up to to my store and do like a signing for like our grand opening? And so, and he did. And it took like two years for us to do as good in a single day. You know what I mean? Just because he brought so many people, but it raised awareness of the store and like it was super cool. And so um, I'd gone to like, I'd gone to WonderCon, I'd gone to San Diego Comic-Con and I'd gone to like uh, Wizard World Chicago. And I went to, you know, a bunch of these shows and I would come back to Seattle and it would just be like, 
you know, I don't understand why we can't have like a good show, like a good big show, like these shows up here in Seattle. And so it started to like, <laughs> that's, that's where it kind of started from. Like very much like, very much like the stores, the con was like, man, I would, I want something better. Nobody else is doing it. So I guess why don't, why don't we do it? And so that's how that's how Emerald City Comic Con started. So I um, I got a bunch of credit cards and <laughs> oh, um, and I was like, all right, let's do this. And so <laughs> I basically uh, I called in all my favors. So again, like, yeah. hey, Eric Larson, are you? <laughs> Yeah, you down to uh, come. I'm doing a convention. He was like, yeah, sure. Um, and like every friend I had made at, um, you know, go, going around to, like I mentioned, all these cons. And then I, um, I just, I made friends at um, the, the different shows and was like, every one of these people who I, um, became friends with it was like eric larson and like jim mafood and scott morse and mike huddleston and then all the local people that i became friends with at the con so um i invited them as well and essentially it was just like all right come on come on down to this convention that i'm running like it's a one-day show in February, like, let's, let's go nuts. And I had, like I said, put, um, a lot on the line for the show and was hoping that it would all work out. Um, I can't imagine that was terrifying. I mean, I would be terrified. (laughs) It really was. Um, and so, you know, like the show that had been going on in Seattle beforehand had been about like four or 500 people, um, you know, if it was if it was like one of the big shows that they did like once a year, could get up to like a thousand people. And I was like, man, if we could get like a thousand people, that would be awesome. That would be. And what I did is I, I kind of guilted a lot of people into it um, because so, like I said, I would go I would be an exhibitor at these shows and all the other people would also sort of like complain about like oh it's always the same list of people it's always the same this it's always, i wish i wish i wish right and because of course no one else was doing it and i did it i basically was like listen if you don't buy a tape my show then you can't come more like you can't you can't say that there's nothing better. And then when something, I'm not even saying better, I'm just something comes along that like, you can't not support this show. So thanks to that, I was able to like sell the tables at, you know, sell all the tables at the show. And I try to keep my prices like comparative to the other show. And I advertised, I got in the car and like I drove the entire I-5 corridor from like Vancouver, BC down to Portland. And like I went to every single store, like mapped out all the comic book stores and 
dropped off like flyers and posters and like introduced myself and was like, hi, I'm running this show. I would love if you could tell your customers about it, you know, this and that. And so. No, if that's so we, not grassroots, I don't know what is. That's awesome. Like you have to, you know, like, and, and so again, this is 2003. Wow. And so there's no Twitter, there's no yeah. Instagram no other you know there's not a cohesive social media presence that everybody is paying attention to or whatever but you know like i've got the website and i'm just you know like trying my best and so we do this whole thing and um and i get all my friends and customers from the store to like help out and volunteer and like try to do all those things that need to get done. Um, I'm the one that like, I have a car and I'm like driving the guests from the hotel oh my goodness. to the show. Wow. Uh, and so like, and so then now it's like 7 a.m. And I look outside and there's like four people in oh, line. No. And I'm just like, what have I done? <laughs> Oh, like, I bet your stomach like, just dropped. Oh, oh yeah, it's just the the flipping worst. And so I I just I'm like, what what is this? What have I gotten myself into? And then like I get busy, like there's stuff to do. I was like, all right, we got to make sure the tables are in this. And then like we're opening up at 10 a.m. and like it's like 9:30, and one of the guys is like, hey. Like, have you looked outside? And I'm like, no, I can't. Like, I can't. I can't go and like see this like uh, the tumbleweeds rolling down the the street. Um, and so he's like, no, you 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 gotta go outside. And so I do. And there's like a thousand people. Oh my goodness! In line for oh, the show. That's incredible. And it's like, what the hell? Like, I don't even understand how, because, you know, like, it's a solid show, but I mean, but it's just something different and it, and it got, it got people excited. And, um, <clears throat> and so we open up and it's just bonkers. It's like a really busy, really good show. And we end up with 2,500 people. And like I said, we were hoping for like a thousand VRA and, you know, and it just goes and every single person who has like a booth, like all the exhibitors are like, you've got to make this two days. You've got to, you know, like we can't wait to come back. You know, it's just like, like everyone's changed. their All of a sudden it's like, okay, so, so that's what, that's how Emerald city started. And, you know, like I just kept growing, like, you know, it was a very slow growth, like Emerald city, like I still did like worked at the stores and did freelance work for the first seven years of Emerald city before it actually like paid me a salary. Yeah. That's unbelievable. Oh my goodness. So sorry, I feel like I've rambled quite a bit. No, um, I but, love this. This is this is what it's all about. I love hearing this story about it. Um, but yeah, so essentially that's how that's how Emerald City got got started, and then 
you know, little by little, just kept getting bigger until it became a giant monstrosity. A thing. No, I love a it. Thing. Yeah, and it seems yeah. like it seems like so far, at least in your career, you kind of you build something uh, really fantastic around you know something you're passionate about, and then once you feel like it's a well-oiled machine, and and as we talked about right off the bat. Um, maybe it's better served in the hands of someone else. It's in, in time for you to move on to something new. Do you kind of find yourself building something really lovely and then getting that itch to be like, all right, what's next? What can I build next? Do you think yeah, that's totally. kind of the pattern? That's awesome. I'd love to hear yeah. even more if, if you're up to it, a little bit about kind sure. of the origins of um, Lightbox. And again, I don't want to ask you to talk about stuff that maybe you have to talk about ad nauseum. So feel free to talk about whatever is interesting to you in that. But um, I'd love to hear about that journey as well. Yeah, I just think that so Lightbox essentially came around in the same, uh, much the same manner, I would say, as like Emerald City is, you know, talking to a bunch of different people and talking to my partner, Bobby Chu. Um, we were we're talking about how there's only really like kind of one show that focuses on animation and that no shows really focus on a broad uh, spectrum of illustration and especially that there's no show that is kind of like dedicated to um, education as part of the mission. So we kind of essentially dreamt up Lightbox as this kind of hybrid, like, like a learning comic con, you know? So we're like, what are the, what are the things that we most enjoy? So in terms of like scale, right? Like I've, I've been running a show that's a hundred thousand, 90,000 people. And you know, there's a lot of moving parts and we're talking about like, you know, still even to the end, you know, for me, Emerald City, like my favorite part of the show is always Artist Alley, right? And so I was like, well, how, how do you just do, like, let's just do a show that is that, like that's Artist Alley, but then, then all the programming is, uh, oriented around teaching like we want you to learn something at every turn and so so that's exactly what we did i mean it's essentially like um a show with two parts you know one part is the artist alley and the exhibitors and the other part is the panels and education and there are no other parts and so by doing that we pared down the um, you know, you can make it to a pretty manageable size. You don't need a lot of people for it to, to feel good. Um, and, and so, you know, with, with Lightbox, we wanted it to be, you know, again, tr conservatively, you know, especially for a three day show, we were like, you know what, let's, let's try to get 8,000 people over three days. Like we think we could get that. And, we ended up with 9,500, which again, above estimate, which is yeah, awesome. I thought, I thought it was uh, an amazing turnout. Yeah, it was real. I was very happy. And, and that's exactly it. Like, you know, this doesn't need to be, nor should it be a show that has a mm. hundred thousand people yeah. or, or even close. Like, 
we've talked and I haven't, we haven't come up with a number because part of this is due to, of course, the convention center and their numbers. But essentially, like within a couple of years, I'm going to say that we are going to just be a, a sellout show because there's only going to be 12,000, like maybe tickets. And then that's it. Like that's, that's kind of, and we're okay. Cause everybody, you know, the, the same thing kind of happened, right? Everybody had a really good time. And the first thing people are talking about is like, are, are you thinking of moving the show to Anaheim to make it a lot bigger? Like, how do you expand the show? Cause we took up basically every inch of the Pasadena Center. And I was like, uh, no, actually like size of show we want. Like if I can just, run this size show every year and make it interesting by changing up the guest list and changing up the programming and doing cool stuff. Like, I think we're, I think we're fine, you know, and it doesn't need, and this goes almost like all the way back to the first thing we were talking about, which is like, it's okay to just be a certain size and call it good. Like we don't have to always be like, Oh, well, how do you make it bigger? How do you make it more? Like, I don't need to make it like as long as we can make it to be profitable. Cause you know, like we did fine the year, year one was like kind of break even ish. So, like, you know, we'd like to make it so that it also makes a little money. But like, really, I don't need it to be obnoxiously large so that, you know, it becomes like this monstrous show. And I think it loses all its personality when it becomes so big. Um, this show specifically, like I think every other shows, like I think Emerald City held its scale for a very long time and it was still like this fun show that you could go to and all that. So, you know, I just think that each show has its own vibe. And so this to me is not a show that would, um, let's call it survive being a big show because I think a lot of what happens with it is predicated on it not being a big show. Yeah, absolutely. And the caliber of artists that, that made it out, like I just, uh, I follow so many artists on Instagram and I remember all of a sudden I started seeing them all post about this thing called Lightbox and I had to check it out and figure out what is this thing they're talking about. And, and it, and as I read the show description, I was like, Oh my goodness, this is the thing I never knew. I always wanted, <laughs> you know, and uh, couldn't wait to get a ticket and then was just so thrilled um, the experience was really unbelievable for me personally. I mean, I met so many folks that I didn't know, and I didn't even know that some folks from the Spokane area were going, and we ended up seeing each other down there. But the connections that were made and the life-changing uh, creative advice that was just dished out so freely, it was so enriching and life-changing. Um, I It blew me away, and I just can't even wait to see where it goes from here. But I personally am just so thankful for all the work that you put in and the team put in to make really such an incredible show for artists. It's it's amazing. Thank you. That's really nice. I think, you know, that our, our core our core belief with that show is that, you know, there needs to be a bigger spotlight on the people who create the pop culture that we consume. And that's the artists. And so uh, it it doesn't hurt, of course, that Bobby himself is an artist. Um, and so that, you know, sometimes we just have a discussion, which essentially is like, well, what do you, what do you want? Like as at a show, 
what would you, what would make you happy? Like, what would you want? And so like, and then taking that and implementing it across the board so that everybody is having that experience um, was invaluable. And like, I feel like my contribution to the event was much more logistical to just say, I don't, you know, like I've learned, you know, all the, like, I've made a lot of mistakes, right? Like I've grown a show from kind of nothing to like something big. And so if I can avoid the the pitfalls of, <laughs> yes. you know, with my experience yes. and try to get us, because, you know, one thing that people commented on a lot was like, you know, this feels like it was year one, but they're like, it feels like a show yes. that's been around yes. for a long time because it had all the elements that you grow into. Like, you know, when I started Emerald City, there was no signage. There was no program guide. There's no like I didn't even number the tables like we were sort of, you know, like as in not public facing. I was just like, yeah. this is your table. You should sit, you know, like I have assigned you here. <laughs> What, what is this? This is your table. Like, I don't have a number. Like, what? that's crazy, you know? And so it, it's even just those kind of little things of, you know, you walk in and there's uh, there's banners on each row that you know where things are at and everything. And there's signage that shows where people are sitting with a list of the artists. And there's just, you know, there's directional signage outside. There's <clears throat> kind of all the things things uh there's a mobile app that actually is you know so and and i think that that's my contribution right like and that's not ego at no, all that's, without that I, it I, wouldn't I, have nearly have been the show that it was in my opinion i think that was so crucial yeah, and I think if because if this was just like what you would consider a launch show where like Bobby and I had never done a concert, just trying to figure it out, it would have, like might have been decent, but it wouldn't have felt the way that it did. And I, and I think that's that's what experience gives you is that like okay, yeah, I know I know how to put this thing together, and then everything else is sort of. Like, you know, we learned a lot, like, because we, I don't know that we made a ton of mistakes, but I know we did. And we did, a, like, a lot with the programming, which, you know, communication to the fans so that people are not standing in line for a, a room that is is going to be already full. And, like, you know, there's a lot of things like that. But on the flip side, we also try to do things that no other show does. Like, by the end of this month, by the end of February, we're going to start putting up videos from the panels that were at the show. And so that even if you missed out on a panel, little by little, we're going to be able, we're putting those up online so that you can just experience them for, for free, even if you didn't attend the show. And that goes back to the larger educational part of, yeah. So Anyway, so that's how that's kind of how Lightbox uh, manifested and turned into a thing. Oh, you present like such a like a chill, you know, very um, sort of relaxed person. And I'm curious, 
uh, you know, maybe it's expo weekend or, or things when they start to feel out of control or something is taking place. What is kind of that North Star that you personally always point yourself back to and maybe even point your team to as you're pulling together these really big um, events? I think a lot of it, a lot of what I think of when things are going badly <laughs> or that there's problems is I think I think of uh, this is going to sound like I don't know if this is actually good advice. So like, <laughs> let me just preface it <laughs> by good. saying is I always think that like I could I could keel over dead right now and this show would still happen. And it helps take like the importance of yourself out of what you're doing. You're like, at a certain point, this is like a rolling stone going downhill. Like this convention is going to happen with or without me. So even when there's a problem, you're like, listen, I'm going to do my best to solve it. But you know what? Sometimes shit happens. And if like, as long as people on both sides, and by that I mean both the attendees and the exhibitors and staff and volunteers and everybody, as long as it's not a danger and anybody's in danger of getting hurt or that there's going to be some kind of like that type of consequence, everything else can solve itself. Are people unhappy? We'll figure it out. We're going to do our best. Or did something happen? Let's solve the problem. But you know what? Like it's just it's just a it's just a show. It's just a thing. And if something is kind of messed up, we'll we'll try to fix it for next year. But again, I also know that like if I'm not around, things will figure themselves out even if like I'm not here. And that's I think a weird way. And I, again, I don't know how helpful it is, but like, no, I just it feels like, very egoless to me, which I, which I think is really awesome. Yeah. It's just sort of like, I'm not that important, but nothing else is also that important. And so like, we're all in this together and we'll figure it out. And if it, if it's again, no one, if there's no loss of life or, you know, danger for, for that, then everything else can figure itself out. The lines are too long. All right, we'll figure out how to cap them better. Like they ran out of food at the cafeteria. We'll make sure they get more for tomorrow. Like it's just, you can only do so much. And I'm not saying that I don't stress out and that I have like this like Zen calm all the time. But like, I do feel I've gotten so much better about being like, eh, this will be fine. Like, um, and I, I think a, a combination of age and experience has, has given me a good, like, and, eh, it's cool. Like, <laughs> It'll work itself out. Yeah. I love that. Uh, there's just something about experience. I've been thinking about that quite a lot lately, what experience gives you. And, you know, um, even if you feel like you're so prepared to go into something you've never gone into before, there's just nothing like that actual experience piece. That's brilliant. I love it. You seem like such a, like a getter dunner, like a, a doer person. Um, I'm yeah. curious, do you have like a particular productivity hack or system that you've found personally through experience that just really keeps you on task? 
No, I'm actually like I I surprise myself all the time that I get anything done. Um, <laughs> I love it. I just I and again I'm not trying to be facetious, of but course. like there are there are times when I'm just like, why am I still on Twitter? Like you have shit to do, like <laughs> and yet and yet somehow and I think partially this goes towards the. Uh, kind of like it'll all work out part of me that is really annoying to other people, which is like, I know that I, I'm never going to miss a deadline and I'm not necessarily a procrastinator, but I, I've always thought like, maybe I should be more task oriented. Like, okay, let me, let me like a to-do list and this and that. And, I will say that I've started to use um, Monday.com, and I found that to be a good way to remind yourself of things to not forget. Because I think that's one of my biggest problems is that I'm very bad about um, putting things like writing things down and also communicating that to others. And that helps. Monday has helped be like, okay, here's all the things I'm doing so that then someone else can look at my list of things and be like, like, how is that, how is that guy spending his time? And part of that is the like, well, if I keel over in the middle of planning this show, it's not going to be like, well, let me try to decipher his emails and figure out like what has been happening. And so part of that is just also trying to be a better team player uh, because I don't ever really consider myself like a boss um, in in this. Like, you know, it's a partnership with Bobby and his team and I just want everybody to know what's up. And so it's cool to be able to also look at what they're working on and because it's so easy to get lost in your own work, not in, in a good way. Like, you know, you're just like, good, I'm on task, I'm focused. I just did four hours of the same thing that needed to get done. But like, if someone else is looking, it's like, what did you do for these last four hours? Like, well, I don't know. Like, I just, I was just work. I was working. Like, that's always my answer is like, I was working. Is that true? Yes, because that's what I was doing. I was working, but what were you working on? All right, this and this and this. And so I've just been a little better about writing things down. And Monday has helped me essentially become a little more to-do list oriented. Because I am very good about like checking off boxes. Like, okay, good. I did this. Next. What's next? Okay, I did this. Check. Yes. And the thing about, I know this is like a paid advertisement for Monday.com or whatever, but like... um. What, the thing I like most about it for me is that it doesn't disappear. Like you check it off, you mark it as done, and then it just sits there. And so then you're also able to go back and look at the things you've done. Not so much so you can sit there and be like, here, this is what I did. But it also has helped because now I'm looking at like, wait, what was I doing essentially last year around this time? Is there something that I'm missing or did I forget about? I can go look at this last to-do list and be like, oh, yeah. Oh, I forgot. Tickets are going to go on sale on this date and I need to do X, Y, Z to make sure we're set for the ticket sale or whatever. And I think 
think that's helped. So in terms of productivity, that's been the thing that's helped me the most. Because in general, I think I have like a mental checklist, which is not as reliable. And I totally get that. I, you know, like, because a lot of times, you know, my wife, Andrea, she runs her own business. And I am like, hey, so like, what's on your plate for tomorrow? And she's like, okay, I got to do this, 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 and this, this. And she has it all written down. And she's like, what about you? And I'm like, I'm, I'm going to work on Lightbox. <laughs> um, and like, that's the specifics, you know, it's just yes. sort of like, because and, and part of it is because like, I like to dive into my inbox and be like, well, what, what, what's sprung up? Like something has come up. So maybe I, you know, like, who knows? Um, but it's not, that's also not sustainable, especially if you're working collaboratively. So yeah. So there you go. Love it. Love it. I'm a Trello girl myself, but I've heard so many good things about Monday and I, I definitely want to check it out. That's awesome. Um, I think they have the worst name though. That's true. Cause I mean, at, at we'll talk, uh, you know, I'm talking with the team and it's like, cool. I put this on Monday. I did this on uh, Monday. Yes. Oh, wait, did you mean Monday? Okay. And I literally have to say Monday.com every time because <laughs> Darn it. it's a, Confusing. and so, yeah. I'm, Honestly, like aside from their terrible name, I, I do quite like them. <laughs> That's great. You just have to give them a nickname. We have to rebrand them. I love it. Yeah, exactly. Oh, man. Right in the beginning of the conversation, um, one of my favorite points that you made was, you know, uh, it's really important to find the joy in what you do. And what, what that means for you, you know, might be something different than what it means for somebody else. I'd love to hear a little bit about what you're finding the most joy in doing these days, you know, with Lightbox or any other endeavors you have, what really gives you joy in either your work or what you're doing with your personal time? Um, so in terms of work, what I, what I find joy with Lightbox especially is um, like discovery. And I know that's a little vague, but what it means for me is that because because I'm trying to because, because it's I'm a comics person right like I have I can you know you name a comic person and I know like I can picture their work and I know what they do and like this and that and what I love about this show is that yes there's people I'm familiar with because they've got like a name in whether it's the animation industry or um you know, game design or whatever, and I might know them, but more often than not, I don't. And it's been really cool and continues to be like people, you know, I'll, they'll send in their portfolio and it's like getting to look through it and see and like discovering all these amazing new artists year over year. Like, you know, again, this is only year two, but it's just been like incredibly satisfying. And so that's, that's where I'm finding like my joy in because, you know, there's just there's also the monotony of like, OK, you got to put all the info into the website and make sure that, you know, this spreadsheet is filled out and blah, blah, blah. Fine. But like, you know, that you temper that because, of course, it's work like this is a hobby job. So, um, the other thing is personal side is so uh, we bought a house in October and just like decorating and just figuring figuring stuff out for the house because I've, I've never had a house house you know like I had a small like a small condo but like we have a house with like two, two bedrooms and like an office and I'm like great 
what do I want to put in here? And like, you know, this kind of like constant discussions, like we, we just got a couch and I'm like, or two couches and we're like, check this out. Like we picked the material and like, we got like, you know, custom colored couches and we're like, look, they're blue. You know, it's like, I don't know. There's, it's just, but again, you, you get to take your joy where you got it. You know, like we're not, we're not fancy people, but we're like, look, they're blue. Like we wanted them instead of gray, like they had in the showroom. Like that's neat. Um, and it kind of goes to our aesthetic or whatever. And it's like also figuring out, like we want to put, we, we, we both are, um, we have a lot of art. And so like, putting up a bunch of art around has been really, uh, really satisfying as well to like try not to fit every nook and cranny, but like, you know, I've got like this big, like five foot by five foot painting. And I'm like, where's this going to go? <laughs> yes. <laughs> like, that's a lot of wall space. My <laughs> anyway, uh, but yeah, so that, that, those are a couple things. And then, you know, like I find joy in all my little businesses. Like mm-hmm. I sell, um, comic book spinner racks. That's been one of the things like that's another of my side, you know, like I did a Kickstarter for it and then I continue to sell them. And, you know, those are like super fun to just, you know, like people buy them and then they like send us photos of like the stuff they've put on their racks and like, that's cool. And seeing how many professionals have them in their home, like, you know, like Mike Mignola who created Hellboy, seeing, hit the rack in his office is like oh that's that's badass like that I'm, I'm badass. That. that's cool you know <laughs> so again you just you find you find those jo- those joys because you it's, it's all work so you need to figure out where like the satisfaction comes from absolutely i love it and you have naturally answered most of my questions so i just have three short ones for you if that's cool Let's do it <laughs> all right um the first one being uh, you've built a really solid community of creatives around you. How do you, when it comes to like partnering with someone, and I mean partnering like maybe in a bigger way than simply someone, you know, tabling at a convention, what is something that you're always looking for in terms of vetting them to make sure that it's going to be a successful partnership? I guess, what do you just look for in creative or business partners as you get ready to uh, take a big step forward with them? That's a good question. It's, um, it's really hard to define it because mm. a lot of it tends to be like vibe. Yeah, um, I can imagine. Pretty much like you need to like talk with someone and meet with them and hang out a little bit and just like, I know this is going to sound very surface level, but you know, whatever. It's like if, if their sense of humor is completely different than yours, that's not a bad thing. Like you don't, you're not looking for a clone of yourself to partner with because what you should be looking for is someone who can fill the gaps that you have and where part of the difficulty lies is that you need to self-assess enough to know where your gaps are so that you can find someone who like the reason you're bringing a partner is not because you are, it's too much work for you. Then you need uh, an employee. Instead you need a partner because 
someone understands a business in a way that you don't, they're filling in gaps in your knowledge. And so, but what you need to figure out again, where I say vibe is like, okay, are we on the same page about like what this company is or what this project is or how are we going to work together? What's the workload going to be like? What are you interested in doing? What do you want out of it? And so answering all those questions is pretty crucial in finding the person or people that you want to partner with. Um, Cause otherwise, like I said, if you're just like, I'm just really busy, then you need an assistant or you need a project manager or you need an employee. You don't need a partner. That's good advice. I love it. Yeah. Fantastic. And I think, yeah, that too is probably something that comes with experience a little bit when you maybe make choices to partner with people who um, you didn't vet or you had a you know funny gut feeling about or you weren't vibing. Um, that That's fantastic advice. All right. Next question would be, <laughs> we're almost to the end here. Uh, any <laughs> final advice uh, for people trying to pursue their creative passions more seriously? And I know you started us off with some of that, but is there anything um, still on your mind um, that you'd love to share to folks who are toying with the idea of pursuing their passion more seriously? I mean, I'm just going to answer this like a Nike ad and just do it. Like, just do it. Like, there's no, there's no, there's no other way to say it is that doing your own thing, following your own passion and whether you want it to be like, I've thought of picking up painting, not to show anybody, not to sell And again, this goes to that whole thing we talked about earlier, like, you know, let's pretend and this is like, you're going to have to very, very pretend like that these paintings are good. People are going to be like, hey, have you thought of selling those? Because that's what happens. And what I want is just to like sit around and put paint on a canvas for shits and giggles and for my own enjoyment. And So whether you're looking to pursue a creative endeavor for personal satisfaction or for business, the only thing I can say is that you, you, you make the time for it Mm. and then the end, like (laughs) how that that happens (laughs) is so different for every person. Cause there's no, you know, like, let's say your job is like, let's say you're a teacher All right, well, that's a different type of seasonality Mm -hmm. than someone who, uh, like, just works, let's say, at Costco as a nine-to-five. And so the person at Costco doesn't get a, like, like maybe month that's kind of, like, completely on their own. You know, a teacher might have summer break. They're going to spend a lot of summer break working on, you know, the things they're doing for their school year. But they could carve out maybe – three weeks a month, maybe less, who knows for themselves to like literally do whatever they want. And it's like, you know what I've always wanted to do? I've wanted to like, um, you know, I want to build a, uh, uh, I'm trying I have it in my head. Like I, I want to build a tree house. Okay. Well, You know, I've spent most of the year with on the plans, you know, like just in my free time, I've got the plans and I've got together. 
Now I've got three straight weeks of summertime. I'm going to go in the backyard and build a tree house. I'm going to, I'm going to build a, a dog house. I'm going to do whatever, you know, like, but that person, that teacher has a much different schedule of how they're going to make that dog house, that tree house, whatever, than the lady who works at Costco, who maybe is like, well, great. I work nine to five Monday through Friday. Oh, I have every Saturday and Sunday that I could work on this. So if I put two hours, you know, like this is like this insane thing. Like when you start to do the math of it, you know, it's like you, you've worked, you know, there's 52 weeks in a year and you've put two hours in it. That's 104 hours. Imagine putting a hundred hours into something. Like if that was a work day, if that was an eight hour work day, that means you've worked 13 straight days on something, but you just split it over two hours every weekend. Imagine what you could do in 13 straight days, right? I'm inspired now. (laughs) Yeah. Just think of like 30 minutes a night. You know, if you're doing 30 minutes a night, five times a week times 52 weeks, like that's like almost 8,000 minutes, which is 130 hours. Anyway, like, so like just... Break it Find up what into you those bite-sized pieces and make it happen. So the bite-sized pieces is what works for most people is because that's what works into our lives. Yeah. Most people aren't lucky enough. Like I don't have – I couldn't take a month to work on a project on the side, yeah. like a full month. But what I could do is be like – you know, I could talk with my wife and be like, hey, every Saturday I, I'm going to do like two hours for myself. Like I don't want to do – home projects. I don't want to do this. I need to do this. I want to do this, whatever. And it's like, all right, that's two hours that we're not going to watch TV or do something else. Like it doesn't have to take away from the critical things that make your life what they are. Totally. Sage advice. I love it. Oh man. And, and now we are down to the the final question. Are you ready? Final question. (laughs) And that would be, is there anything that you'd like to plug or anywhere in particular that you prefer people sort of follow along with you in your journey, whether that's Twitter or Instagram or what, what, where should we find you and follow you? Uh, Nothing to plug. I have got a convention called Lightbox Expo. (laughs) If you'd like to check it out, you might've heard of it throughout this entire thing. It's uh, September 11th through 13th, 2020 in Pasadena, California. Tickets are on sale March 9th. Um, I sell comic book spinner racks. If you're a dork like me and you want to have a spinner rack in your house so you can put your comics, you can find that at spinnerrack.com. And if you want to follow me, yeah, my, my two preferred outlets, they're very different and I try, I do it on purpose. Uh, you can, they're both just Jim DeMonacos on Twitter or Instagram. Instagram is just photos, of course. Um, and I never post the same photos on Twitter so that Twitter is more, um, like just, my opinions and things that I think are cool, but generally positivity on both. So there you go. The important stuff. Jim, this has been so lovely. Thank you so much for taking the time to share your story with me. You're welcome.